to see all of you. Sorry about the dark parking lot. Hope you made and navigated your way. Uh, so there's certain nights where um, I come into the evening with much anticipation. This is one of those. Super excited to be here tonight. We have a lot of exciting things going on. Uh, tonight marks the one month before our Ecuador trip. Um, so we're really excited about that. Several of us will be sleeping with anacondas here a month from tonight. Uh, we were supposed to Skype in uh, Steve Youngren from uh, Ecuador. However, we had some technical difficulties, but I assure you he says hello, passes his love, and says bring on all of the large snakes for our crew. So one month from tonight, really excited. Also, I know many have asked me, when are we moving to Main Street? I want to give you a, a quick update soon, okay? Um, kind of narrowing it down uh, for you. Uh, actually, I think in the next couple weeks, we're going to be able to announce kind of the grand opening night. And for those of you that haven't heard, okay, um, it's really exciting. When we assigned the lease down on Main Street, uh, we, were, um, we were at a particular number here, our church. Our church has, has grown exponentially here in the last uh, several months. And so actually when we launch down on Main Street, we'll be launching with two services. And we're really excited about that. We, we didn't move to shut the doors on Main Street. We moved to Main Street to open new doors and opportunities. And so on Wednesday nights, we'll have a 645 service, okay? Uh, really exciting. We'll gather and worship. And then the exact same service, uh, the second uh, round of the night, will start at 830. And so um, the, the, the building down there will seat about 230, 240. Uh, we're running plus uh, those numbers here on Wednesday nights. We're, we're excited. It's going to be a lot of fun. And for those of you I know that maybe have to work on Wednesdays, can maybe come later, uh, so be it. So uh, two services whenever we launch. Next couple of weeks, we'll let you know. But, but seriously, can I say this? It's coming along nicely, and it's really going to be unbelievable. So we're, we're super, super excited about that. Uh, lastly, uh, the last reason to be excited, uh, actually not the last, but the last for our context now, is uh, this Saturday we will be uh, looking uh, several families in St. Charles uh, in the face and, and loving these awesome, awesome people in our city with the chance uh, to serve them uh, with a necessities project you all have done so well. We've gathered uh, so much material and stuff to be able to bless these families with and uh, take the burden off of them uh, so they can focus on food and shelter. So this weekend, man, super, super excited. Our chance to love this city. So uh, let me just ask, are you guys excited to be here tonight? Are you ready to go? All right. Now listen. Listen, listen, listen. Okay. We need to pray in expectation. Okay. It's one thing like to sit there lethargically, Right. And again, I know it's like some of you don't even know why you're here. And so for you, I'm not really talking to you because just, just welcome and just sit back, right? But for, the, for some of the rest of us, like, we know exactly why we're here. Uh, we've come uh, to learn and grow and worship the King. And so here, here's what I want to pray for right now. I want to pray that God awakens and softens our hearts. That we can sense the anticipation of what God will not only teach us, but reveal about His character tonight. Right? And that we can journey together. So can I pray that for us? Are we cool? All right, let's pray and then we're going to dive in. All right? God, thank you for gathering us. Thank you for um, providing us with beating, living hearts. Thank you for gracing us with life. And I pray, Lord God, that tonight, as we await in expectation of your revealing of your character tonight, I pray, uh, God, that you soften us, that we hear from you, that we meet you. And that we yearn to have more of you. In your holy and awesome name and all God's people said. We've been studying the book of Hebrews. We study the Bible verse by verse to not negate any hard scriptures. And last week we looked at a really incredible text. After an entire chapter's worth. All about the supremacy of Jesus. 
After that, chapter 1, the writer throws in four verses, a very life practical challenge. And let's look at these verses here. Uh, in verse 1 of, chapter, uh, of Hebrews chapter 2, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift, uh, drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Very wordy, right? But amazing, wasn't it? And the big teaching, the big practical life application for us last week was was don't neglect your salvation. We can't leave or forget what God has done in our life. Don't neglect it. Cherish it. Make sure that you're reflecting on it. Sit back and remember what God has done for you because the punishment that the angels uh, had attributed according to the law for those who, who negate salvation now, the punishment is much worse. And so we sat back and just challenged each other on the fact that the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus isn't just some additive. He's not just some preservative to our life, some puzzle piece. Jesus is life, right? And listen, listen, on Sunday when my family gathered, I was looking around my living room. We had 12 kids at Lot Family on Sunday, okay? That's a circus, okay? We were just missing like the lions and, you know, and I was watching all these kids and I was watching um, all of the people in my basement, just a beautiful scene. And I sat back at one point as everyone was talking and we were just enjoying this. And I thought to myself, this is the revelation that Jesus is life. All of these people from so many different backgrounds have gathered with this one source of encouragement, and that's the gospel. Like they're messed up. They come from all different kinds of stories and different interpretations even of the scripture of Christ. But But they've come together to live life together. And it was this beautiful portrayal of what we even see here. A whole bunch of people gather from all kinds of different days and stories, and yet we're here together. Okay, Now, I want to admit something to you. Uh, Hebrews is tough. It is. It's tough. Like, that was, is wordy. Can we just agree? And, and tonight, like, it's, it's, even, it's even tougher. It's, it's a very wordy passage. But let me just say this, please. And this is why I'm so expectant tonight. Because we teach verse by verse, we want to explain and describe these verses in a way that we can understand, but in a way that does the original context justice. Are you with me? And so we're going to be breaking these verses down tonight, and I'm telling you, if you hang in there, there's a beautiful, beautiful piece for us tonight that we can potentially walk away with. So open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to begin with verse 5. We'll be studying all the way through verse 9 tonight. That's right. Several verses, as you can tell. What's the page number there in the the Pew Bible? 860. 860. Thank you very much. Here we go. Verse 5, Hebrews chapter 2. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made, for, uh, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. 
putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. This is fairly wordy, isn't it? All right? Now let's go verse by verse. Let's break it down. Let's dig in. All right, here we go. Let's begin again in verse 5. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. Um, We've spent a whole lot of time talking about angels, right? Some of you may say, like, too much. Like, I'm getting confused. All of this angel rhetoric, okay? Well, in this passage, we're transitioning. Uh, This passage isn't about angels per se, but it's about something else. There's a particular phrase there at the end of verse 5. What is that phrase? What do you guys see there? Now, it wasn't to angels that God subjected the what? The world to come. This sets the scene for us. The writer here is transitioning from this very life-challenging, don't neglect your salvation. And now all of a sudden we're talking about what things are subjected to other things in the world to come. Now, uh, the world to come isn't, isn't this. It's not here and now. It's the world that we await, the one day where uh, Scripture says in 2 Peter 3, where there will be a new heaven and a new earth. It's, it's that world to come that we are longing for. I love this here, the, the subjected, wopatasso is the Greek word, and it mean, means literally to submit to, to be submissive to. So in other words, we could say this in, in verse 5, now it was not to angels that God subjected uh, the world. So in other words, it's not angels who everything will be subjected to in the world to come. Um, Let's say this another way. Uh, When we um, get to heaven and there's a new heaven and a new earth, what God's saying is it's not angels who we sit in submission to. Okay? So it sets up this massive question, then who? And, you know, the the Sunday school answer, Jesus, right? Like, you know, everyone's, oh, of course it's, it's Christ. Okay, maybe that's a great potential answer. And, and obviously at the end of the day, like God always sits sovereign. But he's setting up this really intense question. In the world to come, if it's not angels like you uh, Hebraic Jews who are searching out for, reaching out for, then who is it? Who are we subjected to? Verse 6, really interesting. Look at this. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him. Unbelievable passage. The writer of Hebrews here is quoting Psalm chapter 8. And what does he say? He says, who or what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? So he's answering this question. In the world to come, things will be subjected not to angels, but to whoever he's talking about here. So again, like the quick answer would be Jesus, especially when you see the phrase what? What? Son of man. You remember in Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, in the prophetic words of Daniel, we saw this phrase, son of man. But you remember when I taught Daniel, I said that son of man is referring to Jesus. It is a messianic title, but it's the first time in scripture that we see 
Son of Man as it refers to Jesus. Okay? Psalms was written before Daniel. And if you understand in Ezekiel, listen to this, in Ezekiel, over and over and over, this term Son of Man is used, not referring to Jesus, but referring to man. Humans. Ezekiel even specifically. What is man? Look at this uh, scripture again then. What is man that you are mindful him, uh, mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? He, he says you. The whole Psalm chapter 8 is written about man. What is man that you would be mindful of him? Or the son of man you that you would care for him? Unbelievable text. Now look at this. In, uh, in, in the Greek here, the being mindful of man, the Greek word is memnesko, uh, and it means to remember. So that's kind of cool. God is mindful of man. He remembers man. He thinks on man. But this really powerful phrase, care for man, episkeptomai, which literally means to look after. So it's man, apparently, that in the new world, all of these things will be subjected to. Interesting. All coming under the premise of what? God's mindfulness of man and God's care for his man. In other words, listen, in other words, listen. God loves man. This unbelievable text as you sit back in this beginning of Hebrews And all of the scripture that says God is love, or for God so loved the world, culminates in this passage. God is mindful of man, and God cares for man. God remembers man, God considers man, and God looks after man. Unbelievable passage. Now, listen, if you're like me, can I ask you this? Have Have you just ever struggled believing Have you ever had any times in your life where you've wrestled with whether or not God really is love? Listen, you've heard it all your life, right? You've heard it over and over. God is love. God loves you. God is so loving. He's so caring. He's so good. But listen, can I ask you, have you ever had a time where you've just been like, I don't don't know. Um, My first love, uh, my first love's name was Kylie Peppel, okay? And um, I was in the... I was in the seventh grade. You guys remember your first love? You guys remember this? Your first love, like the first time you laid eyes on someone and you really thought, like, this is it, right? Like this, well, Kylie Pebble was her name. Uh, We were in band together. She played the French horn. And uh, just a really, really awesome, like, I I was just head over heels for Kylie Pebble, you know? Um, My very first kiss ever happened in the back of um, the McDonald's parking lot, um, back by the dumpster. It was really romantic. Um, That was my very first kiss. It was uh, with Kylie Pebble. And I can remember um, my mom and my father somehow heard about my relationship with Kylie Pebble. Now, my parents, I grew up in a home where I always was hearing that they loved me, okay? Uh, I know some of the rest of you guys, like you grew up in that home, you're always hearing the words, I love you, I love you. Others of you, not so much, right? Like others of you never heard your dad say I love you, or rarely your mom. Not me, I grew up in a home where they were always saying I love you, I love you, I love you. And then uh, my mom and dad heard that I was dating Kylie Pebble. And so they said, hey Mark, we love you. We want to have a little conversation about this Kylie Pebble thing. I was in seventh grade, I was head over heels. I was like, alright, fair enough, let's talk. So they sat me down, they're like, Mark, we're a little bit concerned 
uh, we, we, we've heard of this kind of this Kylie Pebble girl. And, you know, we're just we're a little bit concerned with the crowd. She hangs around. Are you sure she's a Christian? I'm like, I don't care. She's awesome. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's a beautiful woman. I obviously later changed my mind on that philosophy. But, but they sat me down. They're like, all right, here, here's what we think, Mark. Listen, we love you, Mark. We love you. Um, but but, but I, we're pretty sure that you should just break up with this girl. I'm like, I just, I just kissed her behind McDonald's, you know? Like, this relationship is legit now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not letting go of this. We're in love. We're probably going to get married. You know what I'm saying? Like, I already gave her a friendship bracelet. Like, I'm not breaking up with her. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and they, just, they just said, Mark, look, we're, like, we just really think this is best. In that moment, listen... My mom and dad had said a thousand times, even in that conversation, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. But in that moment, it's just, it's hard to believe. Because all you're looking at is things through your lens. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're looking through this selfish perspective of, yeah, but you, no, no, I don't think you do. Because if you really love me, then you would know what's best for me. And I know what's best for me, and so I'm not sure that you love me. Have you ever had that time when it's just tough to hear? Tough to think about. You went through a massive, disastrous, tragic event. Okay? You lost a family member or a friend. And as you sat there amidst your pain, and all of a sudden the thought or someone said, as they often do, hey, just remember God loves you. You ever remember just thinking like, I don't know. It sure doesn't seem like it right now. Listen, have you ever been hurt by someone else? Like deep-rooted pain. Where all of a sudden, like someone came up and, and they could tell that you were struggling. And you were, I mean, pain, unbelievable. You were hurting so bad. And someone said, hey, hey, it's, it's okay. God loves you. And you've heard it so many times. But in that moment, any of the rest of you, like, I'm, I'm just not sure. I just don't know if that's real. I don't know if that's true. I don't know where you're at tonight. But as we're getting into the text here, listen, can I say this to you? I think that some of you are here for the sole purpose of hearing that God is mindful. I think maybe some of you are here sitting in these pews tonight, maybe for the sole purpose of hearing that God cares. And we're going to keep fleshing this thought out and keep developing this. But I don't know where you sit, and I don't know what you're struggling with, or I don't know what's going on in your mind, but I know this. I think some of you tonight just need to hear that. What is, what is man that God is mindful of him? You get that? Like, we're so undeserved. It's so unmerited. What is man that God would be mindful of us? Right? But what it starts to do is it starts to mess with your doctrine a little bit. Let me explain. We always say here at Matthias that everything is about the what? The glory of what? The glory of God. Our theological statement, in short, is God's will by God's power for God's glory. We're a very, if you're here for the first time, God-focused church, not man. But in this text... It seems like man is given some significance, doesn't it? It seems like man is given some worth. That all of a sudden in the scripture we see, what is man that God would, like, if God thinks of man, if God cares for man, 
then we must not just be worthless. And we can talk through the passages that followers of God are called children of his. So clearly we have some worth. But let's try to put this in, a, in kind of a theological framework, if we can. Okay? I'll put up my, my theological uh, framework here uh, of this. Uh, next slide. You're right there. Here's how I phrase this. God is love and God created. And to bring himself glory, listen, he loves his creation. It is about God's glory. He is a jealous God. This is about him. And to bring himself glory, he loves his creation. Especially what? Especially man. We see this all in the scriptures. I want to show you this uh, one text here in Matthew. Next slide. Put up this Matthew text for me. Matthew 6, 26. I know some of you struggle with this because you're all about the animals. Oh, the animals. Oh, I love the animals. Look at this. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, right? And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He's created so much, but he values man the most. That is clear all throughout the scriptures. Oh, the animals, oh, the animals, preserve the animals. He loves man. Nowhere in scripture does he make a big deal about other pieces of his creation, how he intimately loves it. But with you, he does. With man, he does. It's clear. So I don't know where you're at tonight, but listen. It is not theologically incorrect or doctrinally wrong to say that creation has worth because God made it and he gave it worth and he loves it because it brings himself glory. Do you see? Now the rest of tonight we're going to flesh this out and see how this, all this works together. And so to start to look at that, I want to look at verse 7. If man is insignificant... But if he has worth, and if angels are not going to be, uh, have, uh, if things are going to be submissive to angels in the new world, and if this is implying that man does, then what role does man play? Verse 7. You made him, again, now we're, ta- we're not talking about Jesus, we're still talking about man. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. Okay? You have crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjection under his feet. Okay, if this was talking about Jesus, this would be a little bit easier to understand maybe. Okay, you put everything underneath his feet in subjection to it. You crown him with glory and honor. Okay, that must be, no, it's not talking about Jesus. It's talking about man. It's talking about you. So man has and is playing some prominent role. Well, what is that role? It goes all the way back to Genesis, and I want to show you this. I'll put up Genesis chapter 1 here. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have what? Dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I love the language there. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be them, you, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have what? 
dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth, we see three different things that man plays in verse 7. You made him a little lower than the angels. In other words, man was made physical and angels were made spiritual. So he makes man, he makes Adam a little lower than the angels. Physical, not spiritual. You have received, or you have, you have given him, a crowned him with glory and honor. Well, what's that glory and honor? Man was given dominion. Man was given rule. Man was, was almost like a king of the earth. Everything was in subjection to man. You remember when Adam, what Adam does in the garden? He what? He names the what? He names the animals. Everything is sitting in subjection to Adam. Everything is under his rule and reign. That's what man was, uh, that, that's what man was intended, and I'll come back to that word, to be. To rule over the earth as a king. Naming the animals, ruling over the animals, having dominion over the animals. Everything was subjected to him. And look at the, end of, uh, the beginning of verse 8. Putting everything in subjection, submission under his feet. Man has dominion, rule. That's how everything begins. Are you with me? Man has tremendous worth. Now, look at the rest of verse 8. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him... He left nothing outside his control. And look at this phrasing. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Now, things aren't in subjection to man. God gives Adam rule. He gives him rain. The birds, the animals, everything sits under his dominion. And then Adam, in God's allowance, sins and gives that rule away. You see, Satan comes and tempts him. And the reason why I say God allows is we believe here that Jesus wasn't an afterthought. And so for Jesus to be the plan of redemption all the way from the beginning of time, then sin had to enter the world. God hates it. He abhors it. He didn't create it. He allows it. So though it would appear that God's intention was that man would rule the earth, God's intention and will is that Christ would redeem. Do you see me? So this picture is, listen, Adam is ruling and reigning and everything is sitting in subjection to him, but then he gives that rule away. He gives it away. And at present time, it doesn't appear that man rules over the earth, does it? It actually appears the other way that the earth rules man. Listen, I don't, like there's no anti-death app. You know what I'm saying? I've looked. I just got an iPhone, right? Like I was like, is there an immortality app on this thing? You know, no, there's not. Like now all of a sudden man becomes subject to one thing, death. All men die. I don't care how smart we get. I don't care all of the brilliant things that our scientists can, can conjure up. I don't care like what they'll be able to make the world do or say or think about in this in the scheme of science, but I know this, all men will die. We'll die. We're corrupted with disease. We'll get sick. We'll feel pain. There will be wars. Listen, doesn't it feel like this, this earth like, is going against us and that we're not really ruling it, doesn't it? 
Of course it does. But in the beginning, that wasn't the way. In the beginning, the earth was in subjection, in submission to man. Adam gives that away through sin. And now all of us, the scripture says the wages of that sin is death. Now we will die. It doesn't matter how smart or how wise we all get. We all will die. That's our new subjection. And so like the random passerby will be like, well, way to go, Adam. Right? Like, well done. Well, yeah. Like it's, it's hard to stomach that. To think that because Adam sinned, as Romans 5 said, then all have sinned. That we've all burdened this, this curse of death. But listen, without the curse... We couldn't taste verse 9. If the earth didn't all of a sudden feel like it was ruling us, and I'll even be more specific, a Satan in the scripture is called the kingdom and the ruler of the what? Anyone remember in Ephesians? Of the air. It's not just that Adam has given it away to like, he's given it away to, to Satan. Of course, under God's rule, nothing happens in this world that's not under God's sovereign rule. But Satan is rolling around here. Prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for something to devour. And like it would, it would seem like right now we should just complain. Like, Adam, what's the deal? But verse 9, look at this. Verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Now we've made a transition. Now we're not talking about man anymore. Now all of a sudden we're changing our character. There's a new man character. It's not you. I just taught you. In the world to come, the new world is not going to sit in subject to angels. It's going to sit in subject to you. But something has to happen for that to happen. Now we're subjected to death. So, so now what's going to be the case? Verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely who? Namely what? Come on. Listen, I, I, don't know, I don't know where you're at or what you're thinking, but I am so tremendously impacted by the power of just the name of Jesus. Is there anyone else with me? It's like I will just be sitting in my grotesque sin and at the thought of just speaking the name of Jesus, just Jesus in and of itself comes with so much power, doesn't it? It's because this man becomes the better Adam. The fulfilled, look at this, verse 9, we see him... Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the what? The suffering of death. Man, you, me, subject to death. The world, uh, the world owns us, is our reigner now. No longer are we, is the earth subjected to us. But then Jesus comes as the better Adam, as the sinless Adam, As the great redeemer. And listen. He suffers. Crown of thorns. Beatings. Whips. Flesh torn off. All of the ridicule. He suffers. And is crowned with glory and honor. Because of his death. And look at what verse 9 says. So that by the grace of God. The unmerited undeserving grace of God. He might what? Taste what? Death for everyone. Man is subjected to death. But Jesus comes, suffers, and dies one death for everyone. 
So that now it's possible through relationship with Jesus that in the new earth, in the new heavens, that all of a sudden that subjection becomes man again under God, of course, but man is restored. We're back to Genesis 1, except it's not this earth, it's a new earth, you see. All of a sudden, man is restored to his, and I say this loosely, his rightful spot, right relationship with God. You see, restoration and Christ. He tastes death, lives perfectly, suffers, and as Romans 6 says, so that our sins could be crucified with him. Unbelievable understanding. And all of a sudden your mind starts to shift around this question. If this is, listen, if this is the picture of God's love. If all of a sudden the writer of Hebrews talking to these Jewish Christians pauses and wants his readers to understand the depth and the power of God's love. I feel like this would be his his remarks. If God is mindful of man, then what of man of God? If God cares for man, if God is mindful of man, if God loves man, then what should man's response be to that God? You see, when I was um, a young youth pastor, it's messed me up for a long time. I was 18 years old, super green, um, even crazier. I mean, it was just thought best thing we could do in youth ministry was like paint murals on the walls. I mean, I was just, I was kind of just young and immature. And there's, there was this new couple that started coming. And uh, they were seniors in high school, not Christians, they didn't believe. And, you know, there's, when our youth ministry began, there was like eight of us and like one of them was my mom. You know what I'm saying? Like it was a really small youth group. We counted pets for attendance. I mean, it was bad. And, um, Someone brought their dog. Nice, nine. Thank you. And, um, and, and this couple came up to me after a, a night at youth group. And they said, Mark, can we talk to you? And I said, sure. You know, let's, let's go talk. And I, like, I don't know what we're going to talk about, right? Like, I'm, we're just here to play games and stuff. And, and so we go over to this corner. And, and it's this boyfriend and girlfriend. And uh, Amanda was her name. And she goes into her story. She says, Mark, um... When I was a kid, um, both my uncle and my father, um, they molested me just year after year after year. And, uh, and then a couple years ago, um, I was involved in this relationship and this man took advantage of me. And I, I, I can remember it still, her boyfriend's face, as he's, you know, he's heard this before. And they're just both sitting there. And I'll, listen, I'll never forget this. Please hear this. I'll never forget this. Amanda looks at me and she says, and I'm an 18-year-old youth pastor. And she says, Mark, tonight you talked about God's love. How can you tell me that God is loving? And I don't know if you've ever been a young youth pastor before. And you've been asked a question as you're looking deep pain in the eye. And I remember going home, and I honestly, like, I didn't even want to say anything cliche. And so what I did is I just said, let's just, can I just pray for you? Like, listen, I went home that night. 
and I'll remember this because this was a transitional point in my ministry. I went home that night, and I kept asking myself, how will, God, how will these people know of your love? How will these people understand the depth that you're mindful of them, that you care for them? Because right now, God, it sure doesn't look like it. It sure doesn't seem like it. They're suffering, they're hurting. She has pain that's so deep that I can't even begin to fathom. And I remember literally hearing this. God, what, what are we supposed to do here? How can they experience your love? And I had this sense, you show them. You show them. You know I'm mindful. You know I care. So you show them. You're the revealer of it on this earth. You show them you've been cared for. You show them you have hope. You show them your hurt. You reveal your pain and your sin and your struggle. And you point to me. You show them that I'm everything. Today, listen, I was driving around in my minivan. That's right. Love that. Three different instances. I was uh, down the street here a ways. And these two school buses pulled up. And four kids got out, two on each bus. And listen, I looked at these four kids, and I just, had, I just had this overwhelming sense, you show them. You show them. You show them. You be the revealer. I was at a gas station, quick trip, of course, and I just sat back and like, watched all these people come in. Two police officers that, that we served last year, I said hi to them, we talked for a little bit, a whole bunch of other people, and I just had this overwhelming sense, you show them. You show them. And then lastly, listen, I came home before church about four, I always do, take a shower and see my kids and my family. And I looked my little girl in the face. And just this overwhelming sense, you show her. If God is mindful of us, if he cares, if his love is real, if he's breathed value in us, so much so, that in the new world, dominion for us will be restored because of the death of the cross and of Christ, the power of King Jesus. If that's going to happen, if God's mindful of us, then what is our response? We show them. We show the world love. We tell them of our stories of hurt and pain and how God came in and restored and repaired. And it's still tough. There's still moments where we sit back and wonder, God, are you sure? And every time, without fail, because he doesn't fail, he keeps reminding me, I'm love. I care. I'm good. And even if you die, you have to understand I've poured out grace on your life through my son Jesus. You show them. And i got to think that as these readers are impacted by this picture of God's love and this deep doctrine that these people have worth, i got to think that their response has got to be asking themselves, if God is mindful of us, then what of us then? Will you guys stand with me? I want to read in closing tonight. From 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
this text, um, it says this, and I want you to hear this tonight. I want you to be encouraged by this. This is a promise. Please hear this. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It can't. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye... At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on the immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortal. Listen to this. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Listen to this. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through His Son, Jesus. Crowned with glory, an empty tomb, raised so that you could experience life. Listen, I don't know what you're doing or where you're coming from or what you need to hear, but can I just tell you this? He's mindful of man. And he cares. And he knows more than anyone the hurt and the pain. And he's been tempted in every way. And he says to you tonight, if you know that love, if you understand that love, if you've been rescued by that love, then show everyone else. Then tell everyone. You show them. You tell them that God is love.